Welcome back to From Start to Scale with Alex Newman, where founders, CEOs, sales leaders, investors, and the best of the best share their strategies and tactics, how they scaled their business and broke through the next level. Hear what worked and what didn't so you can avoid critical mistakes and scale your business. Now let's get into it. Welcome to the show. Today's guest is John Barrow, CEO at JB Sales, the famous sales training company. John's been in sales forever, training sellers from Salesforce, LinkedIn, Amazon, Okta, you name it, he's done it. He wants to elevate the people and profession of sales by sharing his earned experience with anyone willing to put in the work so they can achieve whatever level of freedom and success they want in life. He knows sales inside and out and has some great experience to back it up. John, excited to have you here. This is a, a long time coming to, for us to kind of riff on here. I'm excited for you to be yeah, here. Thanks for, having, thanks for having me on, Alex. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to the conversation. <laughs> This is going to be fun. So the first place I want to get into is a lot of times we have founders, go-to-market leaders on the show that's all talking about scaling sales, transitioning out of founder-led sales. What are the you know initial key components to kind of putting this all together? I'm curious in your mind, when, when you get asked, or asked questions all the time around building a team, what, what are what are the top two, top three things that you respond with as far as how to build a really, really strong sales team right from the get-go? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it starts with the founder, right? The founder has to be your number one sales rep, period. At least to start, even if they're not. I, I've seen so many founders. I actually wrote this blog post a while ago called The Founder's Dilemma. And usually what it is, is like an engineering founder who's come up with a really good product or service, whatever it is, right? And what happens is if you ask most founders or engineers specifically, if they're in sales, they'll almost have an allergic reaction to it. They'll be like, oh God, no, I'm not in sales. Like I'm not good at sales, whatever it is. Eh, you got to stop that mentality. Right. Sales at the end of the day <clears throat> is the transfer of enthusiasm, right? And so the number one thing I think you need to be successful in sales in general is a belief in what you do. Like if you do not believe in what you do, go find something else to do. And inherently, founders believe in what they do because they, they founded it, right? So what happens is you have an engineer who doesn't really think they're in sales, but they create something. Then they go out to talk to friends, families, and fools, right? Like their kind of universe of, of, of friendly people. And they pitch their idea with a such passion that it transfers. And so those people are like, wow, that looks kind of cool. And they might even get a few sales early on. And then they say, oh, well, shit, man, like everybody needs this. Let, let me go hire a VP of sales and let's go, right? Like that's what you do. And then what happens is the VP of sales comes in with no, with not the same passion, with not the same knowledge, without a real understanding of the market. And they try to impl implement whatever their sales approach was in their previous company. And it tends to fall flat. And then the, you know, the executive or the founder is like, oh, I knew sales was bullshit. You know, let me start with, let me go marketing route now. And then they go marketing and it works for a little while. And then they smash up against the ceiling again and they realize they need sales. So first and foremost, uh, I don't care what you are what your role is or what your perception is, if you do not create a sales culture from the top down, you're going to fail. If you look at sales as a necessary evil because you got to do your thing, you will fail. Let's put it this way. I've trained Dropbox, Tableau, Slack. Every one of those companies, the CEO stood up in the early days and proudly professed that they don't hire sales reps. Proudly. Oh, we have no sales reps in our company, right? And guess what? I've trained Tableau, Slack, and you know, I mean, like I've trained them on Dropbox. I've trained them all because they all need it eventually. And yep. I tell reps this, if you are looking for a job, <clears throat> at, find out if it is a founder-led group that is engineer or, or business founder. 
as long as there's a business founder there, you're, you're probably in good shape. But if you have an engineer founder from the top down and, the, and you don't even see like the VP of sales on their website, like some companies I go to and they have CRO, they have this and they, and there's VP of marketing and they don't have the VP of sales on their website. That to me is a massive red flag. That means you do not respect this profession. So A, start from the top down. And if you don't believe it, you got to believe it. B, create a process, create some structure, any type of structure. I don't care what it is. So as a founder, you're going to be constantly out there looking, you know, talking to people and whatever it is, document everything you can possibly document. How many times did you meet with that person? What were some of the objections that they came up with? Where did you get the objections? Where is the right fit? All that shit so that you can have some semblance of structure to hand over to somebody else. And my ideal state is third point I'll make is don't hire a VP of sales as your first, as your first rep. No. Or, or somebody to build it out for you. Hire a young, hungry rep who's going to hit the phones and put you in the position to be successful. Do what you do, which is sell, right? Talk to people. But nobody likes to do the pre, you know, get the meetings and nobody likes to do all the follow up after the meetings. That's why sales reps get paid as much as they do because that all stuff sucks. Yeah. But put yourself in a position where that person will get you meetings with your, you know, your ideal customer profile and then have that person shadow you and learn, go on those sales calls after a while and graduate them too, and then get them to be, because then A, you'll have buy-in, B, you'll have somebody who's knowledgeable, and C, you won't have a massive salary that you're trying to hold on to and justify with some deals that you probably won't be able to get for at least the first six to nine months of hiring a VP of sales. Yeah. When you, when you think about it, let's say, let's say you're founder selling, right? You have a, you have a founder who, and they could be business or technical, but a technical person who is opting into learning sales, right? They, they get it that they know that they need to kind of get out of their comfort zone. Excellent side. They're selling. They get a couple of customers under their belt. They bring in a couple of reps. They start to see a little bit of full, full motion going through the process. You can call it SDRAE. Founder is going to be involved in the sale no matter what it is in the early yep. days. When, when do you see just because you've seen so many different patterns and so many different experiences, when do you see the leader come in? Doesn't necessarily mean a VP, and I don't want to yeah. like tee up the, the end result here yeah. too much, but like director, VP, CRO, fractional CRO, and all the fractional positions coming out. When do you see leadership yeah. actually come into play when, that, when the machine, you start to see the actual customers coming? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it depends, right, on on the, on those hires, right? Because if you hire super junior and you kind of groom them to a certain point, you're you're gonna need somebody like eventually once you got okay, we got a process in place, we got some clients under our list. Now we need somebody who knows what the hell they're talking about, right? So yeah. you know, I don't know when that would be, but it it'll you know it's pretty evident once you get to you know, and I'll pick some numbers here, like three, four, five sales reps. Once you're at that level and things are moving and you have some traction as a CEO, you're not going to want to day-to-day manage those people. You're just not. Yeah. And, and, and nor do you know how to, quite frankly. So yeah. that's where you look for somebody from the outside to come in. But look, you look for a process. You look for somebody who has a process that they can apply and replicate and has a methodology or approach around coaching and development, right? Because the problem is a lot of VPs of sales, especially early on, are player coaches, right? And I, I fell into this trap myself. I was a player coach. So we started a company. I was, you know, I was the fifth, fourth person on board. I was the VP of sales, but I had to sell. And so my approach was keep up. 
Like literally that was my management approach was keep up. Like if you can keep up, you're going to learn a shitload and I'll treat you along the way. But if you can't keep up, I'm sorry. I got to run as fast as I possibly can to keep this thing moving. So, and that's why I cycled through like seven or eight sales reps because I did, none of them could keep up and I was a yeah. terrible manager about it. So you have to have a structure that you can put people in place because you have to be able to replicate what you do. The problem is a lot of sales reps are artists or a lot of the best sales reps, you know, that you come out, that you come across are what I would consider artists. They're just really fucking good at what they do. You know what I mean? They know how to ask the right questions. They know where to spend their time. They know which deals are worth working on and whatever else, right? But you need a scientist, in my opinion. And they have to be the mix of both science and art, but you need a scientist who has a structure, who has a process. Because I always say like any process is better than no process. And if you build your process, just or if you build your team just around artists and hiring really good sales reps that come in from other industries and experience and all that other stuff, eventually it's going to fall apart. So if you, depending on how big you want to scale, you need to introduce that leadership. I'm, and again, I'm picking numbers here. Fourth, fifth, sixth rep, something like that. Maybe even third, fourth rep, depending on the traction yeah. you're getting. So that, that's the way I would look at it, I, you know, from an intern, but that also depends on, you know, the other thing I'll say is it depends on the level of person you hire in the sense that if you can find that unicorn, right. And I'm talking the sales rep who is, and I'm going to be, do the non HR friendly version of this, by the way. So please, you can find a sales rep who's 26 to 30 years old, who has been in an organization that's already trained them. So they've gone to like Salesforce or, you know, whoever. So they know, so they've gone through structured training and they've, you know, they've paid for it. Somebody else has paid for them to train you. All right. But they're not quote unquote experienced enough to give them any type of VP title, but they're trying to do it. Right. And that was me, by the way, when I was at Xerox, I was a cog in a wheel. And I didn't like it, right? But I didn't know why I didn't like it. And startups was really where I, I, I didn't even know that I wanted to be in startups, but I had the startup DNA because my parents and everything else. And so when I joined Thrive, my, my startup, I was the perfect person because I was a grinder sales rep who was willing to go out there and figure it out and kill myself to do it and grow into the VP of sales role. But you yeah. know, but that's not a 22 year old kid. Like, and that's why I said this yeah. is a non HR yeah. friendly version of this. That's like a 26, 27 year old kid who's had some experience, who's been in the corporate world and wants to branch out and have the upside potential here. That one, you don't have to bring in from the outside. Ideally, they grow inside and they become your director, VP, and so on. But depends on how fast so you want to grow. And it's and, interesting you know. because I, I, I was the same way. I mean, I was uh, yep. 20, 27 when, yep. when I did it. And, you know, you're, there's no family. There's no real, you know, deep relationship. Yep. It's travel the world, hop on planes at a moment's notice. Here's the hardest part that I've seen is how yep. do you separate those people who are good sellers in the corporate space mm -hmm. or that system sellers for that specific system yep. You come out of Salesforce or you come out of these, some of these places are getting pumped with SDR leads or marketing leads and, you know, they yep. get padded a little bit. You and I cut our teeth like you eat what you kill. Like you don't, you don't get yep. nothing. Like you want a commission check, go get it yourself. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about it, the hardest part is sellers are supposed to be excellent at selling themselves first and foremost yes. before they ever yep. sell a product. So when they come into a startup, regardless of whatever size, they should be mm -hmm. able to make themselves sound great. Now, you and I know that when you're interviewing a seller, we can usually sniff out the BS because we've just seen it so many times. But mm -hmm. even some business founders, obviously many technical founders, 
really, really struggle to hire the sellers, the ones that like are that, 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 mm-hmm. that persona that you're talking about. How do you mm-hmm. figure out which side of that line they're actually on? Yeah, it's tough because, you know, I say like sales reps, best sales job is themselves, right? And if it isn't, get them the fuck out of your office immediately, right? It's like if, you're, exactly. if your interview is not literally your best sales pitch of all time, then how am I going to, how are you going to pitch my stuff? If, so, yeah. so they better be doing it, right? So that's why I think yeah. there's a lot of, you know, interviewing skills that founders have to develop here, right? And it's easy books to, you know, how to interview and how to ask situational based questions and all this other stuff, as opposed to hypothetical questions. So for instance, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna ask, first of all, I'll ask a hypothetical for that person, like, assume you have zero resources here, zero marketing, zero, like, walk me, give me your, give me your 306090, right? You're gonna ask for a 306090 of how you would approach this with zero resources. We have no money, we have no resources, you are my sales and marketing engine, what would you do, right? And, and all you really want to see is their thought process on that. Like, will they, do they get creative or are they going to come to you with, well, I need Zoom info and I need this tool and I need Salesforce and I need this. And so my tech stack needs to be $4,000 a month for me to be effective. Like if you hear that, run away, right? But if you hear, okay, well, we have no budget. Well, and then they come up with creative, unique ways of leveraging different tools and getting out there and going to an events and those type of things. Okay. You got somebody who's at least willing to think outside the box a little bit there, right? Yep. And then you want to ask, like I said, situational-based questions. So for instance, you don't want to say to somebody like, hey, give me an example. No, you, want to, you don't want to say like, hey, what would, how would you deal with your boss if you didn't agree with them? Like, give me, you know, what would you do, right? Well, that's a hypothetical question. And I can make my answer sound like I'm the greatest sales rep in the world with the best approach to handling difficult situations. Oh, you know, I'm going to really think through why I was frustrated with my manager. I'm going to come up with solutions too, because I'm not an, you know, I'm not just an excuse guy. I'm a solution guy. And I'm going to take my manager out for lunch because I want to take him outside the work environment and really get, you know, get to know him a little bit. And then we're going to talk through this stuff, you know, and you're going to be like, holy shit, this kid's a genius, right? No, no. What you want to ask is, give me an example of when you got in an argument with your boss and what was the outcome? Right. So I'm going to ask you, Alex, if you're a rep to me, you know, you're a rep saying, oh, I could, you know, all this other stuff. All right, Alex, give me an example of when you were thrown into a situation with no resources, limited resources, and you had to figure it out. Give me an example of what that was. And all I'm looking for is your thought process there. I don't care what the example is. I just care how you explain it, how you approached it, because that's what I care about. How you, how you're going to approach this problem, not what your answer is to this problem, but how you're going to approach this problem. And if I can tell that you're, you're, you're thoughtful, you think through things in a different way and it's not dependent upon all these other things, then okay, I have a better chance at, at, at you being somebody I want to bring on my team as opposed to somebody who's going to come and tell me. That's why, by the way, I don't like hiring senior reps or senior executives at startups because nine times out of 10, they've been part of the machine where they've had an assistant, they've had an SDR giving them meetings, they've had a huge marketing budget with a massive spend for a name brand that everybody knows. And now you're coming to a startup that nobody knows, we have no money, we have no funding, no brand, you know, none of that. I promise you that person's gonna come in and say, where are my leads? Where's my SDR? Where's my admin? And now that, you know, 200,000 OTE person that you just hired is going to probably be closer to a half a million dollars. So your yeah. ACV better be really fucking high to be able to yeah. bring somebody like that in. No, it's interesting. Uh, I get this question quite a bit as well, where it's, it's not even so much what the answer is. 
It's yeah. how they talk about it, the creativity in it, the details mm -hmm. in it. I say it's not about what you would do. It's about what you what you did do. And you yeah. can tell mm -hmm. real fast if they're making up the story, if it's a real life scenario. And, and if you don't have an answer, just be like, hey, I've never gotten in a fight with my boss. Yeah. And, you know, exactly. you take for what it's worth. And there's no real one question that makes or breaks. But no. it's so much about the creativity in your answers. It's uh, it's interesting how it changes. And that doesn't matter if it's a startup or it's Salesforce. Mm -hmm. Like, nope. th it's the same type of attributes that people are looking for. The coachability, the yep. adaptability, that curiosity. That, that makes a lot of sense. I'll tell you so right now, one of my favorite, yeah. real quick, one of my favorite interview questions is, what are you passionate about? And it's not because I give a rat's ass what you are passionate about, by the way. I like, yeah. I, but it, it, to me, it depends on how you explain what you're passionate about. Because yeah. if, if I ask you, Alex, what are you passionate about? And you're like, oh, well, you know, you know sales is, I, I really like sales. And I really like helping the customer, you know, find a solution to their problem. And it's, you know, it's something I, I really believe in. If that's how you describe what you're passionate yeah. about, I'd rather you be like, Holy shit. Did you see the last game of the Patriots and the Jets? I mean, what a fitting ending to such a bag of shit year. Belichick has to go. <laughs> like, he's driving me nuts. I love him. I respect him, but he needs to go right now. We need to burn this team to the ground and build it all up. And, like, literally, the, the Patriots could have nothing to do with our conversation, but you describing passionate. what you feel about the Patriots and that you're passionate about them. Now, my job is to find a way to harness that passion and point it in the direction of my solution. That's yeah. my job as a manager, but I can't, yeah. I can't teach passion. I can't, I, I have to hire it. So yeah. that's the other part of this is you have to hire somebody that has passion and then you have to bring them in and get them passionate about what you sell. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I put on every single hiring scorecard I'll ever use is storytelling. Can you yeah. tell a good story? Are there Absolutely. details in it? Is it attractive? Are you are you dr bringing me in? I mean, it, I think about it as a movie trailer. Get me to yeah. want to watch the rest of the movie. Makes yeah, complete exactly. sense. You got to story sell. You know, everybody knows it. Features and functions yeah. don't story sell. So if you can't tell a good story, you know, in an interview or or even explain it in a way that makes sense to me. Again, that's why I like situational based questions. Like what. You know, give me an example of what you did, not what you would do type of scenario, because those should be relatively easy for you to explain. Well, I did this yeah. and this is what happened in there. So it's hard to make that up on the fly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Unless. Yeah, totally. I want, I want to switch gears. I want to I want to flip flop yep. it over to the seller side of things. So, sure. I mean, nowadays it is it's more challenging to sell in this environment than it was five years ago, 10 years ago sure. and so on and so forth. It's funny because I look back at what I thought was a challenging sales environment when, when I was first getting into it. And you look now and you're like, ah, you, you didn't know anything. But I was also cool. a dumb kid back then. But but yeah. I when I think about it, like, what are some of the things that, that you guys are training, regardless of type of company? But like, what are you guys talking about with sellers that really separates them from everybody else? Because so much of selling today Obviously, our buyers have more information than they've ever had before. But mm -hmm. sellers, yes, they they hear that. They hear that we on LinkedIn talk about that all the time. The thing that I know that a lot of them don't think about is the fact that they're competing not just against their competitors. They're competing against every single other seller, marketing machine, robot, AI this, yeah. whatever you think of. It's just noise. There is so much noise that you're trying to kind of piece it apart for you to just stand there and go, hey, look at me, before anything else. 
It could be from a prospecting point of view. It could be from, you know, discovery, sales pipeline, whatever it is. Like, what are the things that you, you're you seeing that really help sellers kind of separate themselves and, and actually kind of hit their numbers, make that impact that, they're, that, that the company and, and themselves are looking for? Yeah, it's hard. Uh, I mean, it really is. I think now is in some ways, some of the most challenging times to sell in other ways, not so much. And, and I'll explain. Uh, I'm going to first start with going back to what we were talking about as far as belief is concerned. Most sales reps don't give a shit about what they sell. And I'm sorry, you're going to be marginally successful at best if you don't. And by the way, I tell people all the time, if you do not believe in what you sell, if you do not believe fundamentally that what you do makes a difference for the right client, not everybody, but for the right client, if you don't believe that, please go find something else to do because you are the douchebag sales rep that is out there, you know, just out there for a commission check and you're giving us the rest of us a bad name. So authenticity in this world of AI actually is going to matter more than ever. And when I say authenticity, I call it the give a shit factor, Right. So, you know, and, and I'll use, and I use this story a lot, but you know, I've mentioned, you know, Morgan Ingram, right? Yep. So, so Morgan was on my, was on my squad a while back. And when he first came on board, he was SDR, SDR manager. And, you know, he, he came on board and we were doing, you know, we started working on cadences and we came up with some good stuff and we were getting some good results, but he had come to me, you know, less than six months in and he said, John, you know, I'm a little concerned. I feel like I'm doing all the right stuff here, but I'm not getting the results that I would expect to get based on all the work that we've been doing here just from a response rate standpoint he's like what you know what do i need to do to improve my results and i said morgan nothing's going to change until something does and he's like what i said until you start giving a shit and he's like what i was like look i know you care about your 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 work in here i know i know you care about your job but until you start genuinely giving a shit about the 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 person that you're calling or the email that you're sending in that person and you stop treating them as a persona or a number in a cadence or a dial number that you have to hit like as long as you're doing that you're gonna get mediocre results at best because to me your messaging comes across as marketing because you're trying to throw this wide swath out to as many people as possible and that's what you're getting but once you go deep once you really genuinely care your messaging comes across as a lot more authentic. And so one of the things I tell my teams is when you get we always tear out our accounts tier one, tier two, tier three, right? And, and the tier ones are the quality, right? Those are the ones that, you know, and I, I have a list of top 25. Like these are the ones that you're going to do research on. You're going to follow on social and all that stuff. And then tier twos do a little bit of volume and tier threes practice. But tier ones, once they develop that tier one list based on some, you know, some basic gem demographic criteria, I tell them, I go, I don't want you to reach out to any of these clients until you can tell me why you personally want to want to work with that company. And I mean you. I don't mean us. I mean you. What's going on? Do you like? Do you, are you, do you connect with their values? Do you like their product? Does their leadership team speak with you? You know what is it? What is it that you can tell me that John, I want to work with that company? Because once you make that connection, again, your messaging is a lot more authentic. And and that's and uh, and I'll finish th this point with with the values piece of this. I I genuinely believe that every rep should take a step back and do the core value exercise. Every every person should do this, by the way. Every Everyone I, I, I and by the yeah. way, I went through it recently, re redid it recently after my dad passed away and I was in a weird spot and I can't tell you the difference it made for me. And yeah. so the core value for those of you who don't know, it's like there's usually a, you know, go online, type in core value exercise. And there's usually, you know, 
a hundred core value words on a page. And then you, what you do is you find the ones that resonate most with you and you get it down to like 20 and then you force it down to five and then you force rank them, right? One to five. When you go through that process and you really go through that process, you don't just check the boxes. Yeah, you know, honesty is my, but when you really resonate with those core values, well, now there's your decision tree. Because now what all you have to do is go look for opportunities, companies, people, clients who align with your core values. Because if you and I, Alex, if you and I have the same core values, at least for the most part, we can argue all day long, we can debate whatever, but we're going to come to a place of mutual agreement, mutual respect, right? But if you and I are off on core values, we're just going to rip each other apart. Yeah. And so that lens... And that authentic, going back to then being authentic with your approach and the give a shit factor, that is the only thing that's going to save us from AI, quite frankly. It really is because AI yeah. can do everything better than us. It's smarter than yeah. us. It's faster than us. It's more, it's more personalized than us. It, it can ask better questions. I mean, here's, a, here's an activity for everybody to go through right now to, to tell you how scary this shit is. Go on, pick your fucking perplexity, ChatGPT, pick one of them, I don't care, as long as it's connected to the updated internet. Take your company's website and say, act as a, a potential client for this company. I want to review their product offering and understand what it does, how it fits, and how I can leverage it. And then just start asking it questions and watch that machine give you thousand times better answers and insights than any dipshit sales rep who's going to drone through bant questions and drone through their stupid PowerPoint presentation so they can check off all the boxes and get their badge at the end. Like when you know, when you see that a client could just jump on ChatGPT and start asking the questions and that is insanely more valuable than going through the sales process with a sales rep, you have to start asking yourself what what the question is, is what can we do that a computer can't? And you know what we have that a computer doesn't is authenticity. You know what we have is the give a shit factor. I mean, it, it can seem, a, a computer can seem authentic. It can seem like it gives it, but it doesn't. It genuinely doesn't. It, it can't. Not it's yet, not, at least. Yeah, well, <laughs> at least yeah not exactly. Yet. Not yet until, you know, it wakes up and just kind of here, which world, it is. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. This is, I'm reading the book, The Mother of the Matrix right now. This shit's real. Like Terminator and The Matrix are the same movie, by the way. Terminator is the prequel to The Matrix. I don't know if you knew that. We're all living it. Yeah, we're, we're, we're all going to get taken over by machines at some point in time. Oh, we already are. We already are. We already are. We are, like, okay. we are right. we're, we're in The Matrix. <laughs> yeah, we're in The Matrix. I so when, when you think, So when you think about AI from... I mean, there's so many powerful use cases, and, and we're just kind of touching the surface today, especially oh, yeah. with AI and sales, right? I mean... We talk a lot about it on, on LinkedIn. You, you hear all kinds of different like eBooks and books and things getting written and it's all going to get rewritten a hundred more times before anybody settles on what, what's the, oh, yeah. you know, official yep. playbook. And then that's going to get rewritten eventually again too. Yep. But when you think about it right now, how much time, if you're a, let's say you're a sales manager, or VP of sales, how much time are you putting or telling your team to spend like using a chat GPT mm -hmm. or a BART or whatever it is? So I'll take two approaches. If I'm an individual rep, and then I'll tell how you how I do it as an organization. Yeah. But as, if I'm an individual rep, I'm looking at it as a co-pilot. So first of all, let me start with the theme of augmentation versus automation. If you look at AI to automate, you're, you're, it, it, please don't. 
because you, basically you're going to automate yourself out of a job. If, if you, because yeah. like, say you figure it out, say you figure out the perfect automation to mass blast personalization at scale. Well, then why do I need to pay you $150,000 to push <laughs> yeah, that right. button? Like, you thank hey, you very much. Thanks for the tip. I'll uh, see you exactly. later. Right? <laughs> so it's all, it, and, the, and the vision I want people to have is Iron Man, right? Or Iron Woman. Where, remember Tony Stark, right? Like, so Tony as a human, like, he's got all the tools. Like, the guy's super rich. He's wicked good looking. He's super smart, right? All that shit. So, but as a human, if he tries to fight all those aliens, he's going to get smoked, right? So what does he have to do? He has to create the suit. Well, if you remember the suit, the first suit was a big clunky thing and it just, it, yeah, it broke him out of the thing, but you know, whatever, it, it, it fell apart. It didn't really become Iron Man until he plugged Jarvis into it. And so right. now you have the human, the tech and, Jar and the AI, and now you can create Iron Man and you will win compared to the robots, right? So that's the question is, is what can we do that a computer can't? And you got to figure that out. And so right yeah. now it's all about, to me, it's all about practical application, right? So I'm going to do something like prepare for a meeting, write an email, whatever it is my way. And then I'm going to see if I'm going to add an extra five minutes to that process to see if I can jump over to ChatGPT and do the same thing or jump over to one of these AI tools and get the same output after putting a little bit of, cause if I can, well, now I'm going to start to lean in that direction. But if like, like what I've done is like personalized emails. I've written, I've done research, I've done personalized emails, I've written what I thought was right. And then I went to ChatGPT and I put the company's name in and it gave me some bunch of crap and I had to rewrite it and say, do it again, do it again, do it again. And 15 minutes later, I still don't have an output that's better than what I think I did. So in that case, I'm not gonna use AI to do that thing because my approach here is better, right? But if I start to find those areas where I start to, oh, easy one, I'll give very you know tactical things that people can do. One of the things that killed me was I would write an email, five, 10 minutes, I would write a killer personalized email, but then I'd spend 15 minutes trying to figure out what to put in the subject line, right? And I'd sit there and I'd, no, it's not good enough, whatever. So now what I do is I put my, I write my email, I put it into chat GPT or whatever. And I say, give me three emails, give, give me three subject lines that fit today's best practices that maximize open rates for this email and keep it under less and, and, and keep it under five words. Give me three examples. Gives me three examples. I don't like them. Give me three more. Give me, I find, oh, great, guns, right? So that shaves 15 minutes off for me. Doing prep for a client. Instead of me going on their website and looking at their news and events, I go into ChatGPT and say, tell me about this company. What do I need to know, right? And, and act as a sales rep. So, so I think there's all these like co-pilot type things of like, huh, let me see if I can do it there. So that if I'm a rep, and then the thing I'll say for reps is bake it into your approach to where you do a little bit every day. Like, so create a routine where every day, you know, in the morning you do your thing, whatever it is, and then spend 30 minutes and time yourself 30 minutes around with ChatGPT, right? Or at the, actually in this case, at the end of the day would be better because then you could think through all the stuff you did during the day. And at the end of the day, you're going to play with that, right? And see if you can make some optimization because that way you compartmentalize it and you just do a little bit every day. Because the problem with this AI stuff is, man, you could go down rabbit holes like you read about, and I've been there. You know what I mean? Like four hours later, I'm still fucking around with this thing, and I haven't actually done anything. Like you don't still haven't gotten your that subject up. line, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's from a personal standpoint. And and yeah. and actually, the last point I'll make on that is this: that the, the analogy I always give to people right now with with ChatGPT is reps, because reps are like, oh, you know, it's yeah, it's a fad or whatever. I go, no, nope. Not this one. This one's different than any other thing that we face. It's learning on top of itself. It's compounding and it's smarter than us already. So the analogy I always use, you ever see the movie Hidden Figures? You ever see yes, that movie? I have. Yeah. With yeah. the women who are, who are doing all the Computers. math behind it. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. So remember the like, this was back when segregation was still a thing, and and the, these black women at NASA, they were called yeah. com, they were literally called computers, right? And they were in the back, and they were doing like hand calculation shit to get us to yeah. the moon. Like John Glenn yeah. has stones of fucking steel, as far as I'm concerned, because oh yeah, you got the I'm good, yeah. right? Like. Uh, Are you shitting me right now that you're going to trust a human? It was 100% there to replace them, right? She, so she had two choices. One was go back to her team and say, hey, we got to be better. We got to be smarter at math and we got we to beat that machine, right? And they would have lost, obviously. Or she did what she did. She picked up the manual. She learned how to turn it on. She learned how to maintenance it. She learned how to manage it. And then she taught her team how to turn it on, how to maintenance it, how to manage it. And so when the IBM you know, technicians came in to turn that sucker on, they didn't even know how to like, use it. So those women went from becoming 100% replaceable to indispensable. And that's what I'm telling people is pick up a fucking manual. People ask like, John, what do I do with ChatGPT? Like, how do I leverage ChatGPT? I tell them, that is a fantastic question to ask ChatGPT. Like yeah. literally go in and say, I'm a 48 year old man. I live in Boston, Massachusetts. I'm a CEO of a sales training organization. I'm trying to figure out how to use ChatGPT to my advantage to run my business. What should I do? And that shit's going to tell you. So that's, that's from scary, an individual standpoint. Right? Well, that's now, really the thing the is, is I think people are, are scared to just try it, right? They want yeah. this like, this is it. Plug, the, plug no. this little equation or formula or whatever it is. And it's just, it's like, you, you just, to your point, be curious. Right. Yeah. Go be curious, like try different things like you need to figure out in the same way that we figured out sales and what works for our playbook. Like you teach training. I teach all kinds of different things like mm -hmm. we figured out what works for you. I'm sure you teach things that I don't necessarily teach and vice versa, but it works for mm -hmm. us and it worked way, the way that we wanted it to work. That That's the yep. angle that you want is you don't want right. to just be like, oh, yeah, I can do I can make it do whatever you want. Sure, that's yep. an option. But. This is what I do. This is how I use it. This is what it can produce. And I'm really good at figuring out this application. And then you just expand on it over and over and over again. Exactly. And I mean, treat it like easy thought of process. Just treat it like Google. Like literally, instead of Googling it, go into ChatGPT and ask it. See what happens. Like you, yeah. you'll be amazed. And so yeah. that's from an individual. From a business standpoint, what I would do, and this is what I'm recommending all my clients is, you almost want to treat teen, you got, you know, all your reps are looking over their shoulders. You know, they're all playing with it and some much deeper than others. So you got to control it. So I'm recommending everybody turn their sales org into a sales lab. Whereas, you know how engineers have hackathons, right? And they kind yeah. of nerd out, pick something, they nerd out on it for a little while and they figure it out. Well, do this Friday afternoon, two to four o'clock, every Friday afternoon, get your whole sales org together, whether it's on Zoom or in person. And then pick a topic. I don't care what it is, right? Preparing for meetings, doing research, writing emails, doing summaries after meeting, whatever that thing is, the admin type thing is, and break up into little teams, give a little guidance on what you're looking for and tell everybody, all right, whoever finds an AI tool that is free and can do this thing more efficient than what we're doing now wins the day, right? And what happens there is you get people start working together. So now you got the older generation bringing their business acumen, working with the younger generation who's bringing their AI and tech skills. You have engineers in there with you who are really good at prompt writing and, and can work and educate the sales reps. You have marketing in there fucking around with sales. So you're actually building bridges there, right? And holy smokes, if you actually find a solution that is good, well, guess what? You reduce your tech stack and you reduce your spends, right? So to me, that approach of just once a week, Picking something, I don't care what it is, and having everybody tackle it and see what happens. You're all going to learn together. 
And there's, there's just not one leader out there who's smart enough or, or on top of things enough to be able to understand the entire landscape of what's happening and make the right decisions. So you almost have to use your organization right now to crowdsource what works and what doesn't work and figure out how to evolve through this weird spot that we're all in right now. Yeah. Well, it's like, wh- why not learn it all together? Like, you don't need right. to come in here and say, oh, I, you know, I spent the entire last four weekends in a row, you know, just no. figuring out AI for 24 hours straight, like build it with your team, learn together, and then share. People are going to come mm-hmm. in with very creative ideas. And the whole like junior, senior, strategic expert, whatever, manage, like everyone's mm-hmm. going to bring that different angle and it's going to, and it's yeah. going to help you. That makes a lot of sense. What do you think about one of the things in sales today is in, in what I've been seeing over the last like six, 12 months, not, not to say that it has been wildly different before, but I've seen it a lot right now is, is no decision is one of the most common results more than anything else. It's not that you mm-hmm. lost to a competitor. It's not anything else, but it is just flat out no decision. And it could be, you know, I tell you, Hey, just wanted to let you know, John, we decided just to stay where we are, not spend the money, which is oftentimes an issue, or, you know, that maybe you just get ghosted, which is oftentimes the case where a seller will be like, I'm not really sure what happened or what they did. I just got ghosted. What, what do you teach and what do you advise as far as kind of helping sellers or maybe even sales leaders advice to their team around how to, how to figure out how to avoid that, or at least identify it as early as possible and get the hell out of there? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's so many layers to that cake. You know, a lot, it obviously has to do with discovery and understanding impact and true pain and and how it relates to what they're doing. But uh, something that woke me up a little while ago to this whole, to to this is, you know, you know, Challenger Sale, right? Corporate Executive Board, they wrote Challenger Sale. Then they wrote Challenger Customer. And Challenger Customer I actually liked more than Challenger Sale because it was about, you know, the internal politics and all this other stuff. Challenger Challenger is all right, but you know, most people misapply Challenger, right? They come across as an asshole. Like, hey, I'm smarter than you. Let me tell you what to do, right? Yeah, so yeah. Challenger, okay, fine. If if you can figure out how to do that without being a douche, go ahead and do your Challenger Respect, sale. Respectfully challenge, not be an ass. Yeah, exactly. Whereas Challenger Customer was cool because it talks about no matter how much of a challenger you are, if if internal politics and stuff like that aren't like you could you could push somebody all you want. If they're not going to be able to get it done, they're not going to be able to get it. But the one that woke me up was their third version called Jolt Effect. Have you read Jolt Effect? I have not. No. Highly recommend. Here it is. Jolt Effect. Yellow cover. This one, it's their third in the series here. And what it talks about is, yes, most of us, our biggest competitor is no decision, right? But it's actually not no decision. It's indecision. And hear me out. We all heard that by the time somebody, you know, and the corporate executive boards want to put this number out there. Like by the time somebody comes to us, they're already 60 to 70% of the sales process, blah, 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 right? So the prevailing wisdom over the past few years is, well, the client has all the information. And so now we as sales reps have to, we're playing catch up, right? So, so we can't run them through our full sales process. We got to meet them where they are. We got to challenge them and all that other stuff. So, okay. But now it's actually not, it's not, they have all the information is that there's too much information and there's too many options. And so now the the challenge is indecision because of risk. Because things are moving so fast right now that people are, are afraid to make a decision, even if their current situation sucks. So, you, I mean, I've had it before where people have said this to me, like, John, yes, you are that much better than what we are doing right now. 
we're still not going to do a damn thing. And it's like, wait, what? Like, you're telling me that I'm way better, that yes, I will solve all your problems, but you're still not going to go? What's, what's that? What, what? And it's because nobody got fired for not making a decision. People get fired for making bad decisions. Bad decisions. And because they, and I'm, and I'm going to put myself right in the middle of this. So I'll give you an example. AI, right? So early last year, I obviously saw, holy shit, I, like, I got to get in the game as a sales consultant, a trainer, man. There's, there's going to be AI bots that are going to be better at coaching and training than me. So I got to get into this, right? So I thought, I got to find a partner who can create an AI version of John Barrows, right? And I'll plug it into my membership and all these different things. And I, there was two or three groups who I was going down this path with. And now, mind you, this is, this is, I've realized with all the stuff that I got, the only thing I really have is my brand. Right. So, and I am sitting on a mountain of content. I got hundreds of blog posts, hundreds of podcasts, you name it, YouTube, you mainly, right? So, my goal, my thought was I'm going to take all this content that is John Barrows, all my knowledge, all my IP, and give it to somebody to create an AI version of me. Right. Well, that was, yeah, we got to do, but then I'm like, I got to pick the right partner. Cause what if, what if, what if we don't, what if, what if it doesn't go well and we have to separate here? Where does that leave me with my own IP? I basically gave somebody me. So what does that mean? Legal. Okay. Well, there's this other group that'll do it and they'll actually give me my own LLM. Whereas that one won't. So, okay, I'll, I'll actually probably go with them. And it got to the point where I was just like, it, because things were evolving so fast and all the AI, like the new thing that I saw this week was, was, was light years ahead of what I was thinking about last week. I haven't made a decision yet. It's been yeah. over a year. And I'm a, I'm a fast decision guy. Like I, I usually make decisions yeah. really fast and I you know, screw up a lot of times because of it, but I'm not like an analysis paralysis yeah. guy in any stretch of the imagination. It's tough. I have been sitting on analysis paralysis for this because the risk of me doing this is so high compared to the who knows benefit, right? I mean, think about it. Everybody paints this beautiful picture of, all, you know, once you implement our thing, it's going to, this is the, you know, it's going to fart rainbows and everybody's going to be happy, right? Of course. It's beautiful. Nobody believes that. And so yeah. now what I'm doing, tactical stuff for the audience here, a lot of us are really good at reverse time selling, right? So if you want to go live, call it February 1st, right? Well then, okay. Well, if you want to go live February 1st, well, it takes two weeks to do this and two weeks to do this and two weeks to do this. So you got to sign this week if you want, right? We're all good at that. Yep. And I was too. What I wasn't good at was eliminating no decisions. So, so I evolved to, okay, let me ask you, what happens if you don't go live February 1st? Like, yeah. what's the impact to the business? And that's a, that's a tough question because there's usually only two answers and, and one of them is less frequent than the other. One of them is real impact. They tell you, oh man, if we don't, and I don't mean they're just going to miss out on the discount or stay with the existing provider. Like, what's the impact of that, right? Like, yep. you know, oh, we're, we're going to miss our series D. We're not going to be able to do, okay, there's impact, right? The other answer to that is, ah, you know, we'll just keep doing what we're doing. And if you come across that, you're either A, not talking nothing. to the right person, or B, I would not forecast that opportunity, right? No. So that's no decision. That's trying to get away with no decision, right? But to get away with indecision, I'm doing something that is, I think, anti what I was taught in sales. I know it was anti what I taught in sales because I talk about what happens if they make the wrong decision. I, I literally ask. So Alex, just out of curiosity, SKO is coming up here. You got a few, you got a few options, right? You're looking at me to be your SKO guy and come up and do your keynotes and everything like that. What happens if you choose the wrong guy like me to stand up in front of your team and it's a dud? What does that look like for you, for you personally? The, the confidence that the seller has in asking that question 
powerful. Yep. And then guess what? My entire job, Alex, is to de-risk that for you. So now I know, because you're going to say, say you're a VP of enablement or a director of enablement or something like that. You're going to be like, if I put another fucking dud in front of my sales team, I'm never going to get budget for anything ever again because yeah. I've swung and missed right before I had, we had a dud come up and it was a disaster. I, this one matters. And if I don't get the right person in front of my team, I, I might not get fired. I'm just going to lose a lot of credibility type of thing. Ah, yeah. uh, let's talk about Good. why that first person was a dud for you. What was bad about it? How can I make sure that that doesn't happen? And Powerful. that's my job now is to de-risk this. So I got to make it so that your current situation is actually riskier than it is to move to my situation. Yep. That's so that it's interesting up. that you bring that up because I feel like there is a ton of training around, you know, discovery and qualification and prospecting yep. and now AI is coming. But there's the core foundation of true selling when it is de-risking. And it's asking those tough questions. And, you know, we'll, we'll hop on and I'm probably guilty of it myself. When I hop on LinkedIn, yeah. I'll be like, one of the things you should do is ask the tough questions. And everyone's yeah. like, yeah, cool. What does the hell that actually mean? Yeah, but yeah. that's an example of a really, really tough question. When you got to take your confidence, throw it over your shoulder and say, I'm going to walk up this hill regardless of what's going to happen, because I'm going to yep. figure out, is there something here or is yep. that, am I just getting smoke blown? And yep. I think that's the part that I think a lot of sellers need to be okay with is they yep. don't actually want to hear what the actual answer could be. No. Is they're afraid if the answer goes, ah, oh, shit, there's nothing actually here. Then they got to go, I got to go back to prospecting and I got to go back yep. to discovering. I got to do yep. all this over again. That's just sales though. Like you're that's, just not going to well, win. The whole point is to really, really find the one because you know what? That deal is going to be a deal at some point in time. It's just sure. not a deal right that that yet, right? You have three or, out of the six characteristics or whatever it is. Or they're not your deal. And that's what reps got to get good. And this is why actually, you know, as much as I train on negotiations and reframing and all this shit, like prospecting still to this day is the number one skill that any sales rep can master. Because yeah. there's one solution to every other problem at every other stage of the sales process, negotiations, objection handling, closing, discounting, it all gets solved with one very basic but very important thing, which is a big fat pipeline. You have a big fat pipeline. You put yourself in a position where you want the business, you don't need the business. And when you want the business, you sell the right way. When you need the business, you do some shady shit, right? Tight, I mean, like, you, like so, tight. and you're holding on to that deal when you know it's not right. You know what I mean? That's why you sit. That's why those twenty percent are sitting in your pipeline because you've invested so much effort into them. Now it's like I can't leave this, but it is a sunk cost. You need to leave that deal. And yeah. and so what I recommend people do is obviously qualify, right? You know. And by the way, there's qualification and discovery, two very different things. Very Qualifying different. is about us. I want to see. I want to qualify you to see if I can sell you something. Discovery is about them, right? right. So get through the qualification fa as fast as you possibly can. But then, almost look for ways to disqualify I know this is, is unnatural for most sales reps, but I'm looking for ways to disqualify. These days, pricing is a way to disqualify. And I'm not, I, I would never, you tell me three years ago, John, I'd never ask about budget. Absolutely never ask about budget because I'm always like, nope, that gives me a number. And then that's what I sell, blah, blah, blah. Now, 
I'm not going to do the value creation thing and then send you a proposal and then you ghost me because I, we didn't talk about pricing or at least a range here. I mean, I get people calling me all the time. Oh, John, I want this. Da, 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 da. I'm like, yep, I can do that. It's typically this. Just out of curiosity, what is the budget for this? Again, I would never ask that in the past because I, yeah. but now in this environment with every yeah, deal being it. scrutinized and everybody needing to know, you might as well get this shit out of the way because you, what you don't want to do is I, I had one just the other day. They, what they told me was about 150 to $200,000 engagement with me. That's what that based on what the numbers of reps and whether it wanted remote and on site and all these different things. And I mapped that all out. And in my head, I knew it was $150,000 at, at, at minimum. And so I said, Okay, that's a lot. And there's a lot of different moving pieces here to this. I got to ask, though, what's the budget range for this? And they're like, well, it's like, you know, it's like 40 to 50 grand. And I'm like, I'm going to be very open with you. There's no way what you just outlined there can be done for forty dollars or $50,000. I don't care if you come to me. I don't care if you're so, or even better, there's people who are like looking for on-site SKOs. And when they look for an on-site SKO, great, happy to do it. I charge a day rate. I don't charge hourly. I charge a day rate. I'm showing up. I'm flying. I'm flying. So it's a full day anyways. Right. And, the, the, and it's not 10 grand. I'll tell you that. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot more than that. And when she said, well, we have a $10,000 budget for this, I said, I appreciate that. There's n I, no, I, I'm not even like this. You're not even in the range. So it's yeah. not, I don't want to insult you with this. And let me give you some advice here. The only way you're going to find some reputable trainer to come in and do an SKO for you at $10,000 is if you find a local one. Is if you find somebody local who can show up and for a couple of hours do their thing. But if somebody has to fly, if you, and again, there's probably plenty of people that'll do, because 10 grand sounds like a lot of money. But if you yeah. want somebody with some type of, you know, brand and, and, and some type of content, there's nobody I know amongst my peers that would, tr that would take two, a minimum two days out of their schedule, if not three, to fly somewhere and do an SKO onsite for $10,000. It's just, I don't know anybody in my space. So yeah. good luck. But if you really want to do this right, here's, let me show you how you do this. Here's some options for you. So you have to be, my point is you have to be willing to walk away. You have to be willing to stop trying to smash that square peg into the round hole because it kind of looks good enough and fuck it, let me go get it because my pipeline's dry. Yep. You've got to be willing to do the right thing and sell the right way. Somebody asked me this recently, John, how hard can you push at the end of the quarter, end of the month, end of the year? How hard can you push to get a deal done, right? My number one answer to that question is it is directly proportioned to how much it is in your best interest versus their best interest. Yeah. If it is in their best interest because you found that impact, you know you can make a difference and they have to do this, right? Then you can and you should push as hard as you want. Go over somebody's head. You know, like literally, like do whatever the hell you want to do because you're doing it in their best interest based on what they told you. And if they had lied to you, that's their problem, not yours. You push. Yep. Respectfully, obviously. But if it is just in your best interest, because you got to close the end of the month, you got to close the end of the quarter, you got to close the end of the year, then you're just a jackass sales rep. Yeah. And that's when random discounts and all kinds of yeah. things come into play and no, you well, get and ghosted and you burn deals and all that kind of stuff. 
Totally. Don't get me started on proactive discounting. That's one of the saddest things I've ever seen in sales is when you do yeah. all the right things, you develop the rapport, you build the trust, and then your boss comes to you and says, hey, we need that extra deal to come in this quarter instead of next quarter. So, hey, offer that client that's probably going to close next month an extra 20% off if they close now. And when that email goes out, you just went from being a trusted advisor, wow. all your credibility. And I didn't, by the way, I didn't even ask for the discount. So now in my head, what happens what when I What else can I get? Yeah. What else can I get? So, no, it's, it's interesting. A lot of times I hear one of the things that I do a ton is, is these sales audits. And I know that you and I've talked about this a lot, but I dig into mm -hmm. these sales audits. And one of the things that I see is all these deals that are getting pushed into proposal, into negotiation and contract sent. And I'm like, what, what do you, you know, walk me through some of these deals. And it's because they did the demo. It's because they yeah. sent a proposal. And I go, yeah. You talking about a range of pricing is not mean that you sent a high quality tailored proposal that talks about what you uncovered and what they're dealing with and how you guys specifics out. You should absolutely talk about proposal or pricing all the way in the beginning. You should talk mm -hmm. about, hey, my solution is between 150 to 200K. And if they come back and go, oh, okay, well, we have 50K, be like, think about how much time you just saved. Oh. Oh. And then you and don't have this me, chance. Don't tell me of you're going to be able to convince the them. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. There are plenty of like Jeff Hoffman, for instance. Like he's my mentor, right? I'm betting that guy could take a fifty thousand dollar budget and go all the way up to the top and get two hundred G's out of a client. Like I, I, I do believe that he could do that. He's better sales rep than I am. He's, he's like a, a fucking wizard when it comes to this shit, right? But for the other ninety nine percent of us. Like, unless, unless it's real, like, and he does it because he's really good at selling and he can find the and he latches into that super senior executive and he drives and he gets their ego driven. It's not necessarily always the best solution, but he can do it because he can. I'm not like that. I can't convince. I think if you're trying to convince someone in sales, you're doing it wrong. Like sales yeah. is about helping people solve problems or achieve goals, period. And if you're not, if your problems aren't big enough, your goals aren't big enough, why are we having this conversation? And so the idea of like, you know, of convincing. So if somebody is that far off, right? Even if you're talking to somebody below the power line, like, okay, try to get up to the executive, but A, you're probably going to piss off the person you're talking to if you don't do it the right way. And that person right. up top is going to be like, I told them their budget was 50 fucking grand. Why are you having this? Why you, I don't have time for this shit. That's why I told them to look into this, right? So you're probably yep. going to piss a lot of people off unless you start at that level and then you can go from there. But if somebody has 50 grand and your solution is legitimately 150 to $200,000, thank them for their time. Save, your, save both of you a lot of time and have the confidence to just be like, look, I appreciate it. Here's some other options. Here's my direct competitors that are at that level. You know, here's three or four of the people that you can talk to that are there. We're just not there. And I and we never want to be the, the most expensive. We never want to be the cheapest and, and we aren't. So if that's the biggest, that's why, by the way, here's another little nugget. When somebody asks for a price up front, I, I, it, it, there's two things. There's, there's sophisticated buyers and unsophisticated buyers. Sophisticated buyers are people who have gone through the process, they've done the demo, whatever it is, uh, or they've trialed something online and, that, and they know and they just want to see this thing and they just want that price. You better give them that price and that thing and get the fuck out of their way and, and, and make this process as simple. Because if you try to drag them through your sales process of qualifying and demo, they'll run away from you, right? Down, yeah. But the unsophisticated one, the person who's usually just been told, hey, go look into this. The way you get there is by, hey, just walk me through how you got here. Like, t tell me what you know so far, and then I'll determine whether you're sophisticated or unsophisticated. But that unsophisticated person that can't really articulate and they ask for price, okay, I I'll, I'll 
try to get some things to give them a good ballpark, right? To say, okay, well, for me, it's how many reps you look in a hot train or you look for on-site or remote and what, okay. So if they give me that info, I'll give them a good range. You know, it's between 25 and $30,000, something like that. Right. But if they don't, first of all, I'm going to be very, I'll just give them rate card. I'll be like www.jbarrows.com, whatever slash pricing. But the other piece is if I do get a little bit of knowledge, I'm going to ask, okay, happy to share with your pricing. Can I ask, where does this fall on your decision criteria? What's the other criteria you're using to evaluate these vendors and where does price fall on the list? Cause I'm just going to be, and I'll, and I'll even preempt it sometimes I'll say, cause I'm going to be really honest with you, Alex here. If price is the number one factor for making this decision, we can make this conversation very short. We're not the cheapest. No longer do we do. And nor do I want to be. But if price is number one, it, look, I'll give, you, I'll give you a number so you can put it on your spreadsheet and compare it to the others, but let's not waste each other's time here because nobody yeah. wants to be called cheap. And so by calling it out and being like, look, where is it? But guess what you do there? As long as, and, and most people, I don't know if you, you have this experience. It's weird. Most people don't have decision criteria. Like no. clearly decision criteria on how they're evaluating yeah. the different vendors, right? No. They don't even know what they're looking for <laughs> at the time. And it's a perfect, that's a perfect opportunity to put your challenger hat on and be like, let's Educated. take a step back here. Here's all the criteria you should be looking at, right? Yep. For us, it's, you know, the, the experience in the industry, the fit of the trainer, the quality of the content, the relevance of, you know, all these different pieces, right? You know, do they have reinforcement? Do they do coaching? Do they not? Do they do what, what are all these pieces, right? And so then you bring those to them and say, okay, let's, let's go through just a little exercise here, a force ranking, what's most important to you, what's least important to you. And as long as price isn't number one, well, now guess what? You have all the ammo you need at the end to be, deal with objections on pricing. You can do the reprioritization approach. Look, I understand price is an issue, but you had said earlier that your main priorities when making this decision were X, Y, and Z. Yeah. So I, I built our entire thing, solution around what you said your priorities were. You said pricing was not as much of an issue. Now you're saying it's, so something has to give here. Either I'm going to have to take some stuff out of that, or yeah. we're not going to be able to do these things. So, so, cause I can't give you that price. So you have at least some ammo there if you, if you set that stage, but most people don't have the knowledge of how to make a decision when it comes to your solution. They make it up lot, as they I mean, go. A lot of it has to do with education. I mean, from a seller's point of view, I, I always come back to confidence. Like you gotta be, you gotta be confident and knowledgeable enough and practice like these talk tracks around like, Hey, I'm anticipating these types of questions and be mm -hmm. completely comfortable with walking away and being able to say, awesome. Hey, my solution is, is, is 150 to 200 and you're at 50, like, and then sell out of the deal. And if they, yep. I've seen it when people go, you know what? That was just like the low end yeah. and I, and then yeah, they yeah. like set, and then you sell out and you show that yeah. it's all about quality and it's about, and then you gain the respect, you gain the yep. confidence, you gain their confidence that it's not just, mm -hmm. I'm just trying to get a deal at any, any cost, like whatever yeah. you want, that's what I can do for you. Like I'm yep. not Amazon. I don't know how to do that. Like, I don't want to do that. Right. This is what yep. I offer. If you're looking for all this other stuff. Hell, I'll make the damn introduction to these other people to be able to go do yep. the thing that you want to do. But this is what I do. So much of it, I, I call, I've always called it selling out of the deal. And it, and it can mean a bunch of different things. But when you yeah. sell out and you, you're, you know, you're the hot girl at the party, you're like, no, 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 no. What does everything want? Everybody comes back to you. Be, be the hot girl man. at the party that's just like, hey, that's not what I do. This yep. is what I do. This is why I do it. This is how I do it. I've won many of deals that people are like, oh, man, this guy knows his shit. Yep. 
Well, and that's the thing too, is like you, I think we're in a world right now too, where you, you can't do mediocre work, right? So, so in the sense that if you get a client, that's not the perfect fit, you know, just because you wanted to get your whatever commission check and that relationship doesn't go well and they go on G2 or they go on LinkedIn and they make comments about what a miserable experience they just had with your product or service because expectations were misset. That is death in today's world. That is yeah. death. When somebody like goes out of their way to not just say, oh, they suck in a you know, one-star, but actually Roasted. explains the, the details of it, like that's going to last forever. Yeah. And it's going to kill all of your accounts as opposed to just you. And so these days I tell people that the same thing. I'm like, you know, Alex, I could do what you're asking me to do. And probably I'll put something together that's going that you'll like, but I'm not going to hit it out of the park because it's not my sweet spot, man. My sweet spot's this. Look, when you have, when you need that, come back and talk to me. But now, based on what you told me, I give my, I give more recommendations to my competitors than you could possibly imagine. And I, and I mean like direct competitor. Most of my direct competitors I'm pretty good friends with. But yeah. I, I mean literally like I'll say, mm, you got to go talk to Richard Harris on this one. Oh, yeah. you know what? That's Jim Keenan. Oh, you know, just like perfect example. People come to me for sales training, right? And then I get through it and I find out that like discovery is really the problem. Like, and I, they're, like they're good at it, but they just need like, that's the piece. Okay. I, I straight up say, I'm like, I'm good at discovery. I'm like, and I got some good frameworks here and stuff like that. But if really that is your problem, like that is the thing here, go talk to Keenan. Gap yeah, selling is Keenan. one of the best discovery Keenan. things I, I've, I've read and it's, and it's spot on. Now, is Keenan good at prospecting? No, he pretends like he is, but he's not. You know what I mean? Like he's fine, yeah. right? But, but it's yeah. just like, like I, I'd say like prospecting, like you, there's nobody better in this space on prospecting than me. I promise you that. Mm. I know it, right? So that done, you want like a, a, a mid-market sales structure that you can have a common language for negotiations, I'm top on the list. You want super enterprise, complex selling, ah, go talk to Miller Hyman. You know what I mean? Go talk to my boy, Jeff Hoffman. You know what I mean? Like, again, I could do something and I promise you, you'll, go, you'll walk away being like, oh, that was great, but it won't be great. Because yeah. the bar for low in our industry, I, you, you and I know the same thing. I always say to people, I'm, I'm the benefactor of low expectations because most sales yeah. trainers suck at what they yeah. do. And yeah. so I come in, I drop a few F-bombs and I'm real and people are like, oh my God, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen. But did it really make an impact? No. You know what I mean? It's just because I was charismatic up on stage. Yeah. You're getting in front of people. One, one last question, then we can wrap it up. You got a little bit of extra time? Yeah, sure. So want want to talk a little bit about sales leadership. And one of the big things in today's kind of selling environment is finding good sales leaders. What is a good sales leader look like? What's the balance of selling or a player coach role or being a leader or being a coach or being a manager? And what does that look like? And how much should you be on the yeah. phone? And how much should you be recruiting, which you know, as the VP of sales is often half the job anyways, mm -hmm. like, what is the balance when you think of, and, and let's take maybe the, the recruiting aspect out of, out of, you know, sales leadership for a second, and talk yeah. about you as a sales leader helping your team sell more. I look at it and go, one of the number one things any sales manager or leader should do is help your team sell more. Because if that's not what you're doing, then what the hell are you doing? 
Well, yes, and obviously, you know, the goal is to sell more, but it, I think it's, it, I think coaching. So, so this is a tough question, right? Because it depends on the stage of the business, the resources they have available, and all this other. I stuff. I wouldn't give you a non-loaded question. That wouldn't yeah. make any sense. So, so you know, the way I look at it is, I think you always have to be in the game. So, uh, quick story. I, you know, I sold my company to my first company, the Staples, and then I started at this at, at Basho, right? So, the Basho was the training yeah. organization that I now, you know, have evolved to to resell. And I remember, you know, I'd gone from being at the table, right, like sitting at the executive board and all that other stuff, to now I was just a trainer. And so I had to boss and do all my forecasts and everything like that. And I remember Friday afternoons, we had a, we had a call blitz every Friday afternoon. We did cold call blitz, which I fucking hated. And so I, just like every other rep, I didn't want to do it. Right. So when the boss wasn't, wasn't there, you know, we had our call, but I'd be sitting there shooting the shit with a guy next to me on the queue being like, Hey, what's up? What are you doing this weekend? Whatever it is. Right. So typical one time my VP came in and he goes, Hey Barrows, he saw me talking. He goes, Hey Barrows, how many cold calls you make today? Now, and I'm going to caveat this with, this is a fireable offense, so I'm not recommending doing this, but me being the jackass that I am and coming from being the guy and now having to report to somebody and not doing too well with that, my response to him was, I don't know, Tim, how many cold calls you make today? And it was in front of the entire audience, in front of the entire team. So again, he should have fired me on the spot, by the way, should have fired me on the spot. Totally. But he was like, well, 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 I, you know, I, I drove a million dollars of revenue last year. I go, that wasn't my question. My question was, how many cold calls have you made? And the reason I said that was because I had been working there for, call it six months. I'd never seen him make a cold call. Not one. Never trained us on how to make a cold call. Never, never worked with us. Just said, oh, we have call blitz afternoons. Go make your calls. Now, the following week, Again, he slithered into his fucking, you know, and got all pissy and whatever. I mean, who cares? But the following week, Friday afternoon, he was in his office. He had his door open. And my, my little cube was here, and his office was right next to it, right? He had an actual office. And he had his headset on, and he was making cold calls. And when I tell you he was one of the better cold callers I'd ever heard in my life, I was like, Holy shit. Okay. And guess who got their headset on? And guess who started making cold calls? Don't you dare bark at me. about. It's just like training, man. If you are not in the game right now, selling, and you're trying to teach me on some bullshit that you did five, ten years ago because it looks good on a spreadsheet or it looks good on a PowerPoint presentation, get out of my way. Get out of my way. If you are not in the game living this shit, don't tell me how to do this. So if you were a master cold caller 20 years ago and you're senior SVP of sales, but yet you're still trying to tell me to make cold calls and I've never seen you make a call in your life, you're not going to get me to do it. So here's an example. Do call blitz. You know, here's a tip. I used to do cold call blitzes with a, with a speakerphone and it would break up into small little groups. So I, and we would do round robin dials. And I would be in on those calls. So, you know, first rep would call and get shredded, next call. And the coaching happens immediately there, right? And then I would jump on a call and show them that I'm just as shitty as you all are. Like, I'm going to get my teeth kicked in just like you are. So A, be in the game. Find a way to be in the game, whether you manage your own deals, whether you just jump in on a call blitz, whether whatever. So that's one. Two is you got to find a way to do coaching, but do coaching the right way. And I'm not going to call out names, but we all know the call recording software tools. They're great, but this is where AI, I think, is going to make the biggest difference for sales leaders. 
Coaching is the number one thing that a sales leader can do to improve results for their team, but is the number one thing that they don't do because they don't have time to do it. They don't know how to do it. And they're usually running around like a maniac. And so then we have these call recording tools that record the call. Great. Love them. Problem is, is that I now have to go in and listen to that call. And I have to listen to every aspect of it. And the whole value proposition of, well, John, you know, you can just type in pricing and it jumps to pricing. No, because guess what? What they said at minute five probably set the stage for that pricing conversation at minute 25. And if I don't hear minute five, I can't give really good coaching or, or they'll say, oh, well, listen at 2X. You could just speed. No, you can't because I'm listening for tonality. I'm listening for inflection. I'm listening for how they responded in those pauses and that awkward silence. Like if I really want to do coaching right, I not only have to listen to that entire call on 1X speed, I then have to coach on top of it. So every 30 minute call is 45 minutes to an hour if you want to do it right. So that's why these call recording things are eh, in my opinion, unless you have a full-time coach. So you have man, I have clients who actually have managers who deal chase basically, and then a full-time dedicated coach. And that's their job. That's the case. Go for it. But there's some hmm. kick-ass tools right now with AI that are analyzing calls in real time based on criteria that you have. There's one that I work with. It's called Wonderway. It is insane. I actually use it for myself because it listens to the call. And like, I actually can put in there, did the sales rep develop rapport effectively? Did the sales rep ask a defined next step? Did they confirm this, whatever? And I can ask all those questions. And then the tool listens to the call. And immediately right after the call, I get a scoreboard and a dashboard that says, John, zero to a hundred. You did a great job, 100% building rapport, 0% on defined next steps. You did not get a defined next step. You did a great job presenting the solution, right? And then based on that, it gives me things that I can learn about and coach right there. Like, oh, because you didn't get next step, here's a video on how to get next steps. So now I'm getting immediate objective feedback as a rep, okay? And as a manager, instead of looking at each individual rep and figuring out, oh shit, what do I need to coach this kid on versus this kid? I have a dashboard that looks across the entire group and tells me, Alex has challenges here, John, you need to coach him on that. Sarah has challenges here, so you need to coach her on that. And that's where you start to become the Iron Man of, or woman of, of coaching, because now you have tools that can give you the real insights the and take away all the basic stuff. You can really see the details and understand what's going on. I, I like Wonderway. Malfalda, is, is, she's awesome. That's. Uh... I, I think that that's one of the things that I struggle with a lot is there's so many sales leaders that will just default to sales tools and they will just say, mm -hmm. oh, well, we don't have this tool, so we can't do this thing. And I'm like, oh, come on. I mean, I remember when the technology first came out where you could like listen in on your reps calls and, right. you know, you and, and I mean, before it was just, you pick up the other line and you like hold your hand over the, right. you know, over the phone right <laughs> back in the day, yep. or you like sit next to him real close back in the day. Yep. But yep. yeah, I mean, it's so much of it is like sales leaders need to help their people be better. It's not going to just be, oh, you need to go check out AI or, Hey, go no. read the latest sales loft blog or whatever it is. Like no. get in no. the weeds and actually do it with them and show them that you aren't absolutely perfect at it either. You're not supposed yeah. to be the, the most perfect at it. I think that's what makes you such a great leader is to be able yep. to say, hey, I don't know this or I'm rusty at this. I used to be an excellent yep. cold caller 
But you're right. I have been an SVP for the last 10 years, but that doesn't mean that I'm not afraid to like jump in on a weekly basis for a half an hour and show you guys that this is what it looks like. And I'm going to have some wins and I'm going to get my teeth kicked in a couple of times, but that it goes so, so far. It's, I mean, it's, you know, the military references, you name it, right? Like there's, there's leaders who tell their battalions and everybody else what to do. Hey, go charge the field. Right. And yeah, you get a few of them to go charge the field and just for dumb reasons, like, all right, you're told what to do. Right. But we're not in that world anymore, quite frankly. And I actually use this as a good example of going back to my Bill Belichick and the Patriots scenario. Right. I think Bill Belichick has aged out of, out of this, out of this, out of the NFL in the sense that his approach just doesn't work anymore, especially for these younger kids coming in. These younger kids are coming in with personal brands. It's no longer what my, and I have a t-shirt on this, by the way, which is do your job. That is one of my favorite mantras that Bill Belichick, like do your job, right? And do it well. And the whole concept there is like, I have an idea, I have a structure and I have strategy, just fucking do your job, right? And that worked for my generation. That worked for most, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Okay, I got to land. They'll yeah, run away from evolve. you. You got to be idea, in the battle. You got to be at the front of that fight, and yeah. you got to show them I'm getting my ass kicked just like you, but I'm fucking here with you. And then people will follow you into battle. But if you yeah. tell people to go go fight a battle that you're not in, you're going to get mediocre, if not negative results. Yeah, totally true. Well, let's wrap this up, John. Always a pleasure. I feel like we could probably do this for the next couple of hours and talk about how not good the Patriots have been this year and for the last several years. Hey, thank God for the Celtics and the Bruins, by the way. Hey, hey, the Celtics, Celtics look good. Bruins look good. You guys, uh, I don't know if it, whatever year it is, some one of the teams figures out how to be good at something. It's it's yeah, it's impressive. As my Chicago teams would say, wait till next year. Just keep waiting. <laughs> keep, maybe wait till next year. You got yeah, the first pick coming good. up. This he year. got hurt, but he, nah, he, he'll, he'll be fine. Well, let's wrap this up. A couple of yeah. things. What is a favorite book, favorite resource that you recommend to sellers or sales leaders? Uh, you've already dropped some really good ones. Jolt Effect, yep. Gap Selling with Keenan, obviously your podcast, everything JB Sales. But like, what's something that maybe people aren't familiar with? Greenlights, Matthew McConaughey. Yep. There's one from left field. Yep. It's one of my favorite, it's actually my favorite book and it's all about perspective. So this helped me significantly when I was in a bad spot. I said earlier, my, you know, 2021, my dad passed away and I was in a really weird spot and I had to go on kind of like a soul adventure and figure some things out. This book was my, was my soundtrack and, and, and I recommend listening to it, not reading it. So as long as you don't think Matthew McConaughey is a total raging douche, if you think he's a total raging douche, do not buy this book. Okay. Cause there's, there are people that think he absolutely is a douche, right? I don't, I think he's a good dude and i think he's cool as shit his voice he narrates the whole thing it's him reading it and it's his life and the whole thing about green lights and it actually changed my opinion on i used to say a lot and i wish i never did because now i know how insensitive it is but you hear people say this a lot which is you know everything happens for a reason right that is a very insensitive thing to say in my opinion because you tell me my dad died for a reason fuck you i'm gonna punch you right in the eye right he did like but but green lights my philosophy is, is that if you look hard enough, you got to look hard, real hard sometimes, but there's almost always a silver lining to every situation. And that's what green lights is about. So he goes through all these challenging, all these challenges that he's seen in his life and things that would have been red lights for a lot of people. Like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened to me. Yeah. But 
the way he positions it as green light. Because a lot of things where he is today, he can look back to and say, if that didn't happen to me, then I would have. So here's an example for me. This, the beginning of this year was a slaughter for me. Slaughter. I had 20 employees. I had five point, I had five and a half million in revenue. Everything was going awesome. And it literally all fell apart in Q1. Like when I say fell apart, I mean came to a screeching halt. So I am now back on my own with me and my, the, the hire, my number one hire, Megan, who I'll never let go. And as tough as that was, as brutal as that was, and as stressful as that was, I'm in a much better place now because of it. Because I realized I built a business because I could not because I wanted to. And, and, and I had this, and I was riding high just like everybody else. I was, and, I was, and I got lazy, and I stopped paying attention to the details. And I wasn't happy. I was, I was doing it because I was supposed to do it. And, and, but I wasn't happy. I didn't like having 20 employees, quite frankly. Like it just, and so even as bad as that all was, with where I am right now and what I'm looking forward to in 2024, green lights, right? And so that's why I think right now it's a great it's a book, book for people to have and give them perspective yeah. on what they potentially could be going through right now. I love it. I, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to check that one out. Um, that's an interesting Listen one to, to, to kind of think about in that, the spaces that you're at. I'm, I'm, I'm really into that kind of thing. That's super, super enlightening. I'm, I'm going to get that tonight. How, how does the audience get more of you? A lot, so many people do yeah. know who you are. JB sales, LinkedIn website. What, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, jbarrows.com. That's the main, right? That's where you'll get everything about me. I, you can hit me up on LinkedIn. The problem is, is, and this sounds like a humble brag, it kind of is, but it's more annoying. I've hit the 30,000 limit, so I can't connect with anybody on LinkedIn. You can follow me though on LinkedIn and you can email me still. You don't have to be one connected. And actually Instagram is by far the, like if anybody wants any free consulting or has any questions or whatever, Instagram is, is the fastest way to get in touch with me. And it's John M as in Michael Barrows, but that's my handle. And then for your audience, I'm offering a 20% discount on the membership. So long yep. story short, I got a membership where I deliver all my stuff live and on demand at workshops throughout the month and have AMAs. And typically it's 420 bucks a license for individuals, 20% for your audience. And I'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah, uh, so that you can awesome. check it yeah out. we'll link that up. That's, that's really nice. Thank you. Last, last question. Repart, uh, any, any, any parting wisdom, sales, sales leadership that you, that you can, uh, you can share with us before we break. Just give a shit, man. Just give, just a, give shit. a shit. I really do. I mean, it, it can be, it's, it's, a, that it's a great, it's a, just a very simple, straightforward quote is just free. My dad likes to say, if you're going to do it, fucking do it. Don't just fucking do it. Man, just it. do it. Yeah. And it, and that, that's funny is my old boss who I didn't like did have something he said he's like when you go to the gym you know how you go to the gym right some people what they do is they half-ass it they they either go to the gym and they fart around the entire time because they don't want to be there or they don't go to the gym and they sit there and they feel guilty about the fact that they didn't go to the gym he always said you either go to the fucking gym or you don't and if you do go all in and go hit every machine and get the most out of it and start farting around there if you don't Sit on your fat ass, eat your pint of haagen and love every minute of it and enjoy every aspect of the fact that you are not at the gym, but then go to the gym tomorrow, but don't sit in the middle. And right don't now we are not middle. in a position to sit in the middle. This AI, like I said, this AI stuff is coming so fast for all of us that if you are sitting in the middle, if you're, if you're, if you're trying to avoid it, you're going to get replaced. And I don't just mean sales reps. 
I mean, every job Everybody. is, is it, it's coming for all of us. So get on this bandwagon and try to figure it out before it gets replaced. All right, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on. All right, brother. Thanks for having me. All right. Next time. That's it for this week's episode of From Start to Scale. Be sure to click that subscribe button and follow us so you don't miss our next episode. I'm Alex Newman. See you next time.